grateful to have you with us. Thank you, Charles. It's good to be here. I never know what to do with these boxes. It's such an awesome responsibility to speak to God's people. And um, when I'm traveling to a meeting, I I'm feel sometimes with so much fear and trembling that I feel like running back home and hiding. And I, I know that the only thing that brings me on is that it is a calling and an appointment that the Lord has given me. I'm, I'm amazed every time I get invited to a meeting. Why would anybody want to have me at a meeting? And so I'm the least worthy here tonight. And I say that from the bottom of my heart. But I appreciate the invitation and the privilege of being here in your pulpit, Brother Charles, again. And we trust the Lord will speak to us. I, I'm going to speak on something uh, I've preached on this subject before. But I've never um, preached this particular message. It's new. I, I didn't plan on preparing a new message for this, this particular meeting. But, but I'm going to talk to you tonight. And it, I think it's, it's one of the most profound, condensed stories. It has so many applications and truths in it that the Lord gave us. It's, it's, you're familiar with it. It's in Luke 15. Turn with me. It's the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin reading at verse 10. In fact, in the 15th chapter, all of these parables um, were spurned or spurred or called forth because of the of the tremendous enmity the scribes and the Pharisees had about Jesus, why he would be so uh, conversant and so close to people that were reputable sinners. And so uh, the Lord gives these teachings concerning the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, the prodigal son. And all of them center around uh, the truth found in verse 10. He is emphasizing this particular point, that there is joy. He said, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. That is, of all the things that heaven could be joyful about. And the only one that I know that sits in the presence of the angels is the Lord Jehovah, the Lord God. That God gets particular delight and it thrills, as it were, His heart. He is not an emotionalist God. He has feelings. And the Scripture says... That his feelings of joy 
rise up in him. When on earth there is one sinner that repents. Now can you imagine? God's happy all the time, but here his joy heightens. His pleasure deepens. Because someone on earth has turned from his sin and been saved. The Lord delights in that. And, he, and so we launch forth in this story, and it's a familiar one. I know we'll read this and look at it tonight, God helping us. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, that is, the inheritance that was coming to the children. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now can you imagine this? Who's this father representing here? Here's a wayward sinner, as it were, making his way to the Father. Did the Father hold him aloof? Hold him at bay? No. The Father runs. Falls upon him. Smothers him with kisses. What an act. What love. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. See, that's what Jesus was doing 
with these publicans and sinners who were being saved. He was being merry. They were being merry. They were joyful. And these dead legalists scorned it, had contempt for it. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And I want to close there. Let's pray together. Our Father, we hold your sacred word before us this evening. And we are very dependent upon the move of the Spirit now to enable us to speak as we ought to speak, as a frail and infirm vessel. But Lord, you know the desire of our heart is that someone here this evening be helped by what they hear. Oh, living God, our eyes are upon you. We're looking to you to help us. We're looking that Even in this hour, some prodigal may come home. We want to behold with our own eyes you falling on their neck and kissing them and receiving them and forgiving them. We want to see that, dear Lord. Oh God, take away every hindrance, remove every obstacle, give thy preacher liberty and we'll glorify thee in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the phases that was in the prodigal's life. We're going to look at the various phases. Now, isn't this an insightful analysis that the Lord gives of salvation? In fact, I don't know of any passage of Scripture that really has been in so many ways duplicated in so many lives down through history as this story. Perhaps... Tonight, as you've read this story, you can recall the time before you came to your senses when you were a prodigal. You can remember that you have been one. And tonight, there's not any of us who know the Lord in a relationship with Him that have not been a prodigal. We've all been out of our mind and in sin before the Lord saved us. So perhaps you've been one. Or it may be your lot tonight to have a prodigal in your home. You may, and again this is what's so intriguing and so insightful about this this story. This story of course is meant to mirror the relationship of God, the, the work of God, the heart of God and the salvation of poor needy sinners. But you have here a lesson that many parents can identify. They know what it is to have a son to rebel, to go off into a far country, or a daughter. So there are some helpful things in this. If it is your lot tonight to have in your home a son that is out in sin, or a daughter that is in that far country wasting her life, There are some encouraging things here. For you see, the story turns out good, doesn't it? Hey, do you ever hold a scripture if you're experiencing something of it and said, Lord, it turned out good here? 
Lord, can't that happen to me? We pray that it will. Isn't that not if your son or daughter will come to their senses, but when? There will be a when, hopefully, by faith. But more particularly, this may hit you tonight if you're here. You may right now be addressed in this passage because you're a prodigal. You're in one of the phases or periods of life that is so described by the Lord who knows your life very well. He knows the phases. And this is, a, like I say, an interesting thing. And you look at it and you divide it up in this, this fellow, this young man, the son in the story, went through these stages. And we're going to look at about four or five of them as quickly as we can and see tonight if you can identify or find yourself in one of these stages. The stages of the prodigal. Stage number one is the freedom to do your own thing phase. Now, let me ask you right off the bat, look at verse 12 and 13. And the younger, the man had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Are you in this stage where you are being given freedom to do as you please? It may not be as your father pleases or your mother pleases or your God perfectly pleases, but God for the time being is letting you go. You're in this period of doing your own thing. You're like the prodigal here. You're like this younger son. There's a big world outside, Daddy, just waiting for me. And I've got to know that side of life which I'm missing right now here in this narrow-minded atmosphere. There are too many rules here. There's too much observation. There's too much preaching that I'm required to hear. There's standards set for me that are impossible. Nag... Nag, nag, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of this routine. I'm not staying here. I need a little space, a little breathing room. Let me go, Father. Let me do my own thing. I've got to work out some issues that have been bothering me, and I'm going to explode if you don't let me go. Now, has that been your attitude? You notice in the scripture, and I do believe that the father was grieved. But he didn't put his son in jail. He didn't put shackles upon him and said, son, I'm keeping you here. I'm not going to let you do this. The father was grieved. But he permitted this departure. And this is what, again, uh, I, I call... The freedom to do your own thing for a while phase. Yes, sin is a bad thing. And God can sovereignly restrain you from any degree of it He chooses. But He can give you permission to go out and into sin. And I'll tell you this, 
If you are out in sin, and if you are experiencing sin, and seeking sin, and living in sin, you have not trumped God. God has trumped you. He's allowed it. He's given you permission. He could restrain you, but He's given you the freedom. You see, God permits young people to see for themselves, as it were, life on the other side. He permits men in general, if they please, to ruin their lives. In fact, if there's any recovery, if there is going to be any salvation, if there's going to be any deliverance, you have to have sin. I'm not telling you that it is the will of God that you sin. But God is a Savior of sinners. And notice this, the father again permitted his son. You see, before you can properly come to God, you've got to get broke. And to get broke, you've got to spend your substance. And until you're there, and I will get this in a moment, but until you're there at the bottom, you're really not going to find the Lord. That doesn't mean you have to be as morally reprehensible as possible to be saved. But folks, you do have to be in serious need to come to the Lord. So the journey away has begun. Here it is. In this phase of life, the permissive phase, permissive to do your own will, every day brings you further and further away from everything back home. Every day moves you further from the things that you've been taught. Every day brings you further from everything you know is right. But at this phase of life, you're not bothered at all about it. In fact, you're loving it. You're expressing your independence. You're having a good time. You're making new friends. Friends that you don't find in church. Friends that don't love the Lord, but friends that are accepting you. Friends that are complimenting you. In fact, the crowd now that you're liking to be with loves this strong affirmation of your will. They love this strong showing of your individuality. This time of, this time of freedom to do your own thing is a time of exploration and discovery. It's a time in which you are permitted to explore, as it were, the depths of Satan. You're getting an education out there. You're getting to hear things and see things you have never heard or saw before. Yes, you are getting an education in this permissive thing to do your own, this phase to do your own thing. And beloved, it's this, oh my friends, all oh, the scars that you're putting in your mind. Oh, the depth of injury you're doing to your memory. It will take a miracle of God. And only God is capable of that miracle of ever bringing enough grace into your life that you get over this education that you're getting out there in the world. Education in sin. At this time it feels right. It feels good to you at this stage. There's no troubles. It's interesting in the 73rd Psalm, the psalmist was perplexed because he saw sinners having a good time and he was so perplexed, troubled, 
God would chasten him and God would restrain him and God made life tough for him. But he saw the wicked, that they were having such an easy time. In fact, listen to what he says in verse, this is Psalm 73, verse 3. He says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them about like a chain, and violence covers them as a garment. Thy eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. And on and on, it talks about these people that are involved in sin, and they're experiencing sin, and they're rebelling against God. They're getting along fine. There's no trouble in their life at this stage. It's a time of prospering in the pleasures of sin. Why? Because you've got plenty now. You're not bothered about anything at this stage. You're not worried about tomorrow. You're not worried about what people think. You're not worried. Only your concern is living for today. You see, the green light is on. The restraints have been lifted. You've got the liberty to press on in rebellion, disobedience, and sinful pleasure. Is this your phase? Are you now involved in experimentation in the realm of wickedness? You're headed far. Your mind is set on getting as far away from God and far away from home and all it stands for. You've got lots of support at this stage. You've got lots of helpers. Lots of friends at this stage because you've got lots of things they want. When you're young and in sin and you've got resources, you've got friends. They want your money. They want your body. Maybe you've got transportation that they want. But most important, And by the way, this is the power that is behind your rebellion. If you are in rebellion and disobedience to God tonight, this is the power behind your rebellion. That power behind your rebellion really wants your soul. Now you don't see it. Because right now you can't see. You're puffed up. Your head is in the clouds. No one can tell you anything at this phase. You're deceived. It is a time of deception. You feel invulnerable. You feel like you can do anything. You feel like you can take on the whole world. And as you look around, you think, well, rules apply to other people, but not me. Oh, yes, I heard this. Be sure your sins will find you out. But somehow I'm going to escape the gun. I'm going to get away with it. Nothing can harm me. This is the freedom to do as you please stage. Are you there? Well, if you are, it's not going to be long until you move into the second phase. And that is the epic phase of wild excess. You'll notice the scripture tells us about this Took him, you know, you see a marked downward spiral here. He took his journey into a far country. And there, 
wasted his substance with riotous living. Here it is, his living. Notice, he asked, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And the scripture says, and he divided unto them his living. Now notice this, this is very interesting. The young man's living that was given to him of the father is now totally devoted, totally devoted to riotous living. This is the way it is in this epic phase of wild excess. All of the good God-given abilities and gifts and blessings of life are utterly being spent and wasted and corrupted on unprofitable, destructive behavior. It is at this wild excess phase that sin and rebellion and the lust of the flesh take over completely. You see, sin has this nature to it. It always has the nature to lead you further and further and further into it. It starts out slow with moderate experimentation. But there comes a point in which it is a wildfire. That cannot be extinguished. You see, it takes a young sinner a while to find out what form of evil suits their fancy. And you're experimenting with this sin and that sin. But now the experiment with sin is over. And you are confirmed and established in the ways of unrighteousness. And now you have devoted your energies and powers to nothing more than riotous living. You're wild at this stage. You're out of control. You don't do it now. That is, you're not doing those things like drinking and drugging and whoring because necessarily you like it, but because you have to. The period of wild excess is when sin has you in its powerful grip and will not let you go. At this stage, things are going down fast. You are not able to say no to anything that is destructive, evil, or perverse. You are in this wild excess period traveling to hell on the fast track. Your conscience has been so violated so long that you cannot even hear it now. Your resources are fleeting fast. They're being wasted. Your money, your mind, your sense, your self-esteem, your character, your respectability, your life. And you've got nothing to show for all of the things that you once knew or had at one time. It's wasted. It's gone. For all of the excitement, for all of the parties, for all of the thrills, all of the experiences leave you at this point woefully unsatisfied. You are in wild excess, but not getting happy at all. Eating, 
don't make you happy. Drinking don't make you happy. Sex doesn't make you happy. Drugs. The things of the world. Nothing is making you happy. But it's a period in which you are being driven on. Strangely, you are driven on and on to more sex, more drinking, more drugs, more of the experiences of the world, things that are absolutely wrecking and destroying your life. Yes, it's the phase of wild excess. All the stops are out. All the restraints are gone. And you're plunging headlong and headstrong into ruin. But you're not at the bottom yet. But it won't be long. Doing what you're doing, you're going to reach it. Living as you're living, you're going to get there. You're going to come to this third phase of the prodigal. And it's what I call the fun is over phase. Look, verse 14 and 15. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly, would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. The fun is over phase. Listen to me, if you are on a path of sin and rebellion against God and His Word, you're going to get to this phase. It's coming. The time will come for all who are seeking fun in life. Now the fun is not going to be there. Why? No one has been created with enough resources, whether materially, physically, Mentally or emotionally. To go on and on in the fast lane of sin. Without going broke. There are two things true. You don't have enough resources in yourself to keep from being wrecked inwardly by sin. You're not strong enough to keep from being wrecked by sin. It's going to wreck you. It wrecks you emotionally. It wrecks you mentally. It wrecks you physically. It'll damn you eternally if you continue in it. You're not created with enough resources to resist the effects of sin. Nor does the pleasures of this world have the capacity to fill the needs of your infinite soul. So on and on, you're going in the fast lane, but the fun is over. One of these days you're going to find that those things that used to give you such a kick, such a rush, they don't deliver anymore. They're kind of hollow. There comes a time you've been courting sin and going along with the devil. But there comes a time that sin takes off its pretty mask and shows you its true 
heinous face. You see, the scripture says the wages of sin is death. And everything that death holds, pain, loss, suffering. Yeah, it has a beautiful face at first. But it's ugly. It's a mask. And there comes a time that the mask is removed. Sin and Satan will see to it that you spend all and are nothing bettered. Now I ask you this evening, is this your phase? Are you in this phase where the fun is gone? You've spent your teaching. You've spent your time. You've spent your money. You've spent your purity, your virginity. You've spent your youth and your strength. On all of the worthless glitter the world has to offer, and you in return have gained absolutely nothing. Nothing of value. Has sin promoted you to honor? Has it raised your standard of living? Has it brought integrity, respect, quality to your life? No. It's put you with the pig society. It's brought you low. Low, low, robbed all that is good and worthwhile from you. You notice, our Lord gives an accurate description of what life on the bottom is like. I'm telling you, if you're chasing a carnal life of disobedience and sin, you're not going to experience the good life. Notice what Jesus said. He said three things about the quality or the characteristics of being at the bottom. The first is, there comes a time that you're going to be in need. You're going to feel the pain of need, but you're not going to have any resources to alleviate that need. That's what happened. For a time, he had resources to take care of everything. But then the resources were gone, and he had the pain of need, and the needs were not being met. You'll be in need, you'll be in want. He began to be in want. The second thing Jesus says that one day sin will rob you of all comfort and consolation and friends. In fact, you'll be all alone one day. Your friends will be all gone. You'll find yourself to be lonely and forsaken. Because you see, the kind of friends that you make out in the world are not friends at all. No one can really care for you. Hear me this. Hear me on this. No one can really care for you who doesn't care for your soul. If they only care for your body and they only care for you physically, they really don't care. Love touches our soul. And one day if you continue to the fun is gone stage, you'll find no one really cares a flip about you. The scripture says, no man gave unto him. And one of the saddest things was that his future was hopeless. You, took a, you take a look at things and survey the future. What was his future? They were bleak. You see, he was perishing in hunger. Perishing in hunger. You see, let me make this very clear. 
The next phase, if you do not, and I will get to this in a moment, hopefully this will be true of you. But when you're in that, the fun is gone stage, and you're perishing in hunger. The next stage for you, if God doesn't save you, is for you to perish. Perish. Be lost. Separated from God. You'll notice also that the young man was enslaved to the leading citizen of that country. The scripture says in verse 15, and I know what Jesus meant by this when he said he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He became enslaved to this man. He was an indentured servant, as it were. And this, serv- this master, as it was, was a cruel master. The bondage was hard. And by the way, when you're out in sin, and you're far from righteousness in God, the citizen of that country that you're in bondage to is no less than Satan himself. Now friend, am I speaking to you this evening? This is the way it will always be in that land of sin and rebellion and disobedience. The land of sin, that place that is far from God and righteousness, is a land of mighty famine and unsatisfied desire. It is a desolate land. It's lean, empty, lonely, wretched, miserable. And hopefully, by the grace of God, you will come to know and feel how hopeless and miserable you are in that land of sin. Romans chapter 2 verse 9 says, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Are you broke yet? If prodigals are ever going to be saved, they must come to the end of themselves and come to the bottom. Because you see, when you're at the bottom, there's only two places in which you can go. You can either go on down into hell Or you can go up. Here's a little word of advice and wisdom to us who are parents. I've seen parents who've got prodigals in their home. And they try every way in the world. And it's I know it's natural. We want to spare our sons and daughters the pain of being at the bottom. We don't like, we like to give unto them, even when they're at the bottom. But sometimes it's necessary for people to be at the bottom and no man give unto them. Because you see, as long as there's a resource, an arm of flesh somewhere that they can look to and lean on, they're going to be leaning on that. And looking to that. But it's when you ain't got nothing. 
Nowhere to turn. No help. And fourthly, thank God there is this waking up phase in the prodigal's experience. Waking up. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Thank God for this phase in young prodigals, in any prodigal, the waking up phase. Beloved, I think our Lord is giving us a lesson here on classic conversions. Because here you have the elements that it will be true of anyone and everyone who comes to know the Lord. Notice this. The scripture says, and I think it's one of the most powerful and enlightening and instructive things in the scriptures. And when he came to himself. You Christian parents, may we have faith tonight to believe there is a win ahead for our prodigals. You know, it is a wonderful thing if in your want at the bottom when you're in such want and pain tribulation it is a wonderful thing that that causes you to want the Lord there's one, God has one or two options when He has let you go this far in sin. He can bless the miseries of a godless life and cause them to wake you up. Break you. Strip you. Humble you. Turn you to Christ. God can do that. He can cause your wants to make you want what is real, permanent, and eternal. You'll notice the time and the place and the point came in this young man. He just, as it were, woke up. The scripture says here, and when he had came, and when he came to himself, it's like he's been outside of himself in another world. That's what you are when you're in sin. You're not yourself. You're crazy. There's an insanity in sin. You're blind. You're deaf. You're dead. You're unthinking. You're out of touch with reality. You're not in your right mind. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, without explanation, and it's certainly something man can't do. It's something your mom and daddy can't do to you. 
It's something grandma and grandpa can't do. It's something that your preacher can't do. All of a sudden, something comes into that darkened, distorted mind that wasn't there before. Something comes. And a light comes on. And all of a sudden, it's like, what am I doing to myself? What's happening to me? The power of reason awakens. And for the first time in your life, you're enabled to think straight. You're enabled to evaluate your situation. To consider your future. And to weigh the options. And for the first time in your life, you begin to hear and understand all of that truth that you heard but didn't hear when you were growing up. It's the wake-up phase. Thank God for it. You begin to hear. You begin to understand all those things that didn't make sense before. You begin to judge yourself as being in the wrong. You take God's side against your miserable life that you've been living. When you wake up, you quit making excuses. When you wake up, you quit blaming people. You take God's side, you take Mama's side, you take Daddy's side against your wicked life. You begin to judge yourself as being in the wrong. You start to hurt in your heart for your sins. Let me tell you, beloved, when you're hurting in your heart because of the sinful things that you've done and the sinful things that you're involved in, that's more sickening to you than the pigsty. When you're getting sick of your own life and you begin to hurt and feel the pain and accept the guilt of your sins. And at this point, when you're waking up, you resolve to do something. You must do it. You must hear me. If you're ever to be saved, you must make a conscious choice. You must exercise your will. Notice he did this. He said, I will arise and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee. You resolve to do something. You make a conscious choice. You exercise your will. Because you're turning away from the old life. And that's what the Bible calls repentance. And it's not something that you just speculate upon or theorize. You've got to do it. And if you've woken up to the sinfulness of your sins and the degradation and the lostness of your soul... You're not going to be consulting with anybody whether they want to go with you back to God. Because it's something you've got to do. It doesn't matter if your co-sinners with you are going to do it. It doesn't matter whether anybody approves or doesn't approve. It's something you've got to do. You notice the scripture says, not only did he resolve to return to his father, 
In verse 20 it says, And he arose. You've got to make your move. You not only will to come, you do come. You come home. You humble yourself. You confess to God. And you cast yourself like the prodigal did upon His mercy. That brings me to the final phase of the prodigal. And that is the unbelievable phase. (laughs) Because when our prodigals get saved, mom and daddy, we just can't believe it. I had an old prodigal son. In fact, I had two of them and I still look at them and I said, it's still unbelievable. The unbelievable phase. That's becoming what you never thought you could be. A true Christian. It's unbelievable. Some of you think, I can never serve the Lord. I can never be holy. God can make you holy. God can save you. He can forgive you. He can accept you. He can change you. He can give you peace. He can deliver you from all those bondages that are sinking your life. You know what's remarkable to me in the story is it seemed to me that the father had been looking for him to come home. For the scripture says he saw him afar off. It's like the father was looking for him. It's like he expected it. And he rushed upon the repenting son to shower him with love and affection. It's like the father was expecting him to come. And so, he's expecting you. Some of you need to come. And when you come, you're not going to find that God is surprised. He's waiting on you. He's ready. His heart is bursting with love. He's ready to shower kisses, favor, mercy. On your soul. For you see, as this prodigal was, so will you be joyfully received. That's the only way the Lord receives anybody is joyfully. He he likes it so much to receive sinful men that he made a bold statement in the 10th chapter of John. He said it about three or four times. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You don't have to worry if you come to God whether you're going to be received. He'll receive you. Christ receiveth sinful men. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one child that repents. Repents. 
And the Father wonderfully endowed the Son. He blessed Him. He gifted Him. He put upon Him the best robe. What's the best robe that the Father puts upon repenting sinners? It's the robe of righteousness. We're clothed in the righteousness of God. He takes off our dirty rags, puts on the righteousness of Christ. What a wonderful robe He bestows upon us. He gives a gold ring. The ring is a symbol of assurance and sonship. All is well. Shoes were placed upon His feet. He was equipped now. He had been running in the paths of sin. Now He is equipped to serve the Father. And the merriment begins, the feasting, the rejoicing, and the fellowship. There's a celebration going on because, you see, the Father is happy. In fact, (laughs) why is the Father happy? He says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. The Father is happy. And I'll tell you this, this evening, if we're Christians, if we have come to God and received the forgiveness of our sins, we have every right to be happy. We ought to be making merry the fact that the Father's received us and forgiven us. Every time we come to church, we ought to be celebrate our joy that we have in the Lord. When we come in, we ought to greet with one another. The Father wants us to make merry. He's done great things for us. Let us rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again I say unto you, rejoice. Yeah, the prodigal came home. This story had a good ending. How about your story? How about your life? What phase are you in? You're in one of these phases in that. Everyone. You're either in the rejoicing phase of having been accepted, approved, received of the Father, saved by His grace, all things now new. You're in one of these other phases. What will it be? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of standing before these people tonight and seeking to discuss the various phases that the prodigal went through, the story that you told that is so true to life. Lord, you know those in this building that are under the grip of sin. You know, Lord, those that are on the journey right now to that far country. You know those who've already arrived. You know, Lord, those who've experienced it so long now that the fun is gone. You know, Heavenly Father, what needs to be done Lord, would thine eye tonight by your mercy diffuse that quickening ray that will cause that young man, that young woman, that soul that is here tonight near eternity 
to wake up. To be sorry for their sins. And to come home to you. Bring them home, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I thought of the passage there in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return. That's what the prodigal did. Let him return Mm -hmm. to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, let him return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, that's what we have here in this account, isn't it? Abundant pardon. Amen. Let's be dismissed. God has spoken to you. You can go and return to him this night. Let's be dismissed.